0: In today's uh, kind of somewhat crazy, remote, hybrid, flex world, whatever you want to call it, it's a challenge for leaders to figure out how you're really going to show up. So today, I've got a guest who's going to help me dive into that, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I am your host, Doug Thorpe. And yet again today, we're going to have a a talk that uh, has has been, I think, very timely. It's important. Uh, I know I deal almost daily with business leaders, company owners and such that are still wrestling with the question about leading at this flex workforce, uh, hybrid uh, uh, assignments and people struggling to get back into business the way it used to be. So my guest is a lady named Stacey Ashley. She's joining us today and she's got a couple of books and she, like me, is an executive coach specializing in leadership development. So, Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Deb and uh tell us where you're calling in from
1: yeah i'm based in in sydney in australia of course i travel all over the place now that we're allowed to but yeah that's home base for me
0: okay so we have a little bit of a time zone uh, difference here going on but thank you for taking the time to jump in and 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 be on with us a pleasure yeah So as we were kind of ramping up to this, Stacey and I were talking about the challenge that leaders face, you know, in in the pre-COVID environment, a leader could call a team meeting. He could bring a department together and say whatever that needed to be said from the podium and or walking the halls, uh, doing the schmoozing you want to do and letting your sort of natural charisma and personality shine through. But a lot of us don't get to do that anymore. So let's let's kind of start with that. What are some of the challenges, Stacy, that you see going on that leaders are still struggling with at this point in time?
1: Yeah, there's a few, Doug. Um... I think the the ones, the obvious ones come with the change in, in environment, the change of where people are working and the combination of how we work in that environment. So yes, we have people who are still working from home. Yes. We have people who are working flexibly. You know, we have, um, I think a little, a lot more flexibility around timing and that sort of thing. So, so actually getting people together as a single unit, for example, for a team or a business department, um, presents its challenges now. Um, and so I think, as leaders, we have to be more creative and also more open to how we connect with our people. And I think that's really what it comes down to, that connection. Um, We know all the research is telling us that the connection between leaders and teams has really dropped significantly over the last couple of years. And so we have a big opportunity in front of us to reconnect. And communication is part of it. And being a visible leader is part of it. You know, I need to know that you are leading me and that you are you know, finding a way forward for us, um, and that you, you know, um, really are there for me as my leader. You know, and and I want to, um, and I want to trust in your leadership. And so, as leaders, we've got to be really conscious and conscientious about that. So, it is about um, communication, different modes of communication. It it is also about um, making sure that what you're doing people know about so what you're doing whether it's you know arguing a business case whether it's um, creating the vision all of those sorts of things that your people are actually aware that those things are going on because when you were in the office and they could see you you know brainstorming in in your office they knew that was happening. But when you're in different locations, they can't actually see that. And so we've really got to be conscious about letting people know what's going on and what we are in particular as the leader doing to move our business unit, our team and our people forward. Um, and so it is about making sure that, you know, you're really comfortable in all of the mediums. And if that means you need to acquire some new skills to tap into, you um, those communication elements, that connection piece. Um, it is more than logging into Zoom. Logging into Zoom is a great start or or Teams or whatever you use, but it's not enough. You've really got to create the opportunity to connect with your people over those mediums rather than just simply sort of show up because showing up in Zoom is sort of like getting to the meeting room door. It's what happens when you go through the door that really matters. And I think it's exactly the same in this hybrid flexible environment.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, just being the creatures we are, you think about some basic um, social skills like making eye contact when you're talking. Well, on Zoom, that's really hard because your lens is usually somewhere else around the screen and mm-hmm. you're looking at the person you you that you have on the screen you're thinking you want to talk to them but in reality you got to be looking into wherever the camera is to have mm. that connection work and and so logistically it's a challenge and it's just a quick sidebar on that and I'm not making a commercial plug here but I've noticed there are a couple of vendors that have come up with very small micro cameras that you can drop down on your screen and be right Mm. in the center of the facial image that's there of the other party you might be Mm. talking to. Mm. And I'm set up here today, just as an example, I'm looking square in my lens now, but you happen to be just a few inches off center of this camera because, and now I'm looking down at, the face I see on my screen. So there is a difference, you know, that eye movement is is palpable. And often people have that camera incredibly remote away from the screen. And so right there, there's a disconnect that I think leaders need to be aware of and sensitive to. And- Look,
1: totally. And I think I think the other thing, you know, there are the logistics of how do you get the bike set up. And, and you know what, I think the vendors are going to solve that for us because they're yeah. going to know it's a problem. They already do. and And within a fairly short space of time, that will get solved for us. But I think let's also remember the really simple things. You know, a phone call is a wonderful thing. It's very intimate. Um, you do get great connection. So sometimes it's actually about really stripping it back to some of the fundamentals right. to create connection and to open up the communication. And and I think sometimes we you know we know everyone has Zoom fatigue and and those sorts of things. So let's keep it simple as leaders. The the thing here is though that we need to be proactive about how we're creating those opportunities for connection.
0: Yeah. I, I tend to be a little more bullish uh, on my folks when I, I'm talking to leaders and, and what they're doing. If if they start complaining about Zoom fatigue, I just challenge them with the possibility that that's just a convenient excuse. The fact that some psychologist or sociologist has given it a name, the, you know that it it is a real thing. I'm not minimizing that, but I think it can become a convenient excuse and. You, you said a magic word in, in my book. I think one of the big attributes that leaders really need to work on for upping their game in this hybrid life we're living now is communication. And I'm, I've gone on record in multiple places and I'll say it again, I think a couple of years from now when we start hearing and reading all the case studies of businesses that thrived during the pandemic, the, the leadership attribute most dominant I think will be communication. I think that's going to be the differentiating factor and mm. leaders that sort of minimize that by saying, it's just not my style. It's just not my thing. Well, shame on you. It needs to be your thing. <laughs> you, you need yeah. to get out there.
1: Yeah. And I would totally agree with that. And in fact, it was, it was exactly that lead, leaders reticence to, for example, bring their leadership team together. Oh, we can't do a face-to-face leadership offsite therefore we won't do one at all because I'm not at my best as the MD or the CEO online. Well, that's just not, that doesn't cut it, right? You have to find yeah. a way. And um, and so that's actually what really initiated the idea of my book, You're on Mute because you know, if you are not being proactive, if you are not showing up in an online and hybrid space as a leader, then you're effectively, you're not leading and you are actually on mute because no one can hear and see your visible leadership. And so you're right, that that excuse of, you know, I'm better at face-to-face than I am online just doesn't watch the world, the world has changed. It will never go back. Um, And so we need to recognize as leaders We've got to get more equipment in our toolkit so we can be proficient in all of the different environments that we need to lead in.
0: Yeah. So what are some of the other areas apart from communication that you're finding that people need to help with?
1: I think, um, you know, there's some basics, Doug, like um, setting clear boundaries you know, when do I, you know, and that could be around time, when am I available for work, or when do I intend to work, and helping my our people to do the same thing, so that work doesn't become, you know, taking over the whole of life, um, and and I think also making sure that the environment that supports our work, wherever we're working from, that it actually supports what we do. We have the right tools. We have the right equipment. We have enough space. We're not, you know, balancing our laptop on our knee, you know, trying to re- read and write a report and all of those sorts of things. Let's make sure we actually set ourselves up for success. Um, and these are really basic things, but they certainly get in the way if, if you know, they're not, at least there's not some foundations to support our, our great work. I think um, self-care is a big one. Leaders have been incredibly generous over the last few years, you know, supporting the people around them, making great change, leading, you know, fairly significant, you know, programs of change and transformation that have just been necessary um, on top of, you know, the usual things that they would need to do. And I think the opportunity to recover from that um, hasn't really presented itself. And so I think that there's a really important Um, need for leaders to be proactive in actually replenishing their own energy and setting sort of a sustainable way forward to continue to lead this sort of marathon of change because if they don't do it of course we know burnout is a real thing and it will happen and we've got lots of people that are approaching it if they're not already there and so let's actually you know um, take some personal responsibility for how we feel and how we show up Um, what else i think the other thing that's really important is the relationship between employees and their organizations has changed and so the expectation that i have as an employee of my of my organization and of my leaders has changed significantly because i've reevaluated where work and how work fits with the rest of my life and so the employee experience is I think becoming really important, even more important than it already was. And the experience they have of their leader is becoming, you know, an even bigger factor on, um, do I like my work? Do I love my work? Do I like working for, for this organization? Do I want to stay? Am I prepared to put in, you know, my discretionary effort, all of those things. And so as leaders, Clearly, we have a big responsibility in how we deliver that employee experience and how we respond to those expectations, or get clear with our people about what the mutual expectations are. Um, and so, I think you know that's a that's a big piece for leaders because we know people are reevaluating, and they will leave leaders
0: who don't step up. Right. Right. You know, uh, you, you backed a lot into that. And I, uh, several things that come to my mind, I've, I've talked with many executives that are describing in situations where they've done a partial return to work. And so now they are meeting face to face in, you know, in conference type areas, uh, The the tone and tenor of what's being discussed they've described it as a new level of entitlement and empowerment. And often in management leadership, when we talk about entitlement, it's always a negative word. And I don't mean it that way, but there is a kind of a boldness about the workforce showing back up, basically Mm -hmm. saying you know, boss, um, we used to do it this way, but I really want to talk about an alternative. I really want to explore what else. And and they may not say it as directly as that, but that's what they're acting. That's how they're acting out. And managers and leaders are are challenged by that to say the least. And they're um it's a it's a palpable feel that they've got for the teams that are coming back together.
1: Yeah, it's 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 interesting, but I think also it's an opportunity. You know, let's have those conversations rather than you know just assuming we can we can change things. Sometimes we we have to talk about it so we can find the best way forward. I think there's also a huge opportunity for leaders to be coaching and mentoring because if we're working in these flexible environments and things have changed, then if if our employees, our our people, if they want um the opportunity that, that these changes have created, then they also must take the responsibility to deliver on their promise as well. And so let's coach people so that we all get a great outcome from that, because I think the opportunity is there to do that.
0: Yeah. The, the other thing you touched on is the idea of um, setting some boundaries, building some personal resilience into your view of your daily work life and uh, no doubt in my mind and everywhere I've gone during these last two and a half, almost three years now, it, 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 it's very obvious. The one big thing that happened is people sort of lost the boundaries between home life and work life. Mm. And I've, maybe I look at it too simplistically, but for those that were making the traditional daily commute to work, whether that was train, bus, transit, or personal car, there was a break point. You woke up in the morning, you got ready, you you went through that portal of transportation, whatever it might be, to get to work. Mm. And there was a a mental shift that happened and you focused on your work and then at the end of the day you reversed all of that and went home mm. and there was that other shift. Now You know, because of technology, did we take work home? Yes, but did we abuse that privilege like we do now? And I think people have, by and large, they're well-intended and good-meaning. They they rationalize saying, you know, from nine to ten this morning, I need to take care of the kids because my spouse needs to go do something else. So I'm taking a break in my day and I'm going to do my parent thing, but that creates a kind of a guilt. And there's an accounting of that hour saying, well, I'm going to tack that on at the end after the kids are in bed, I'm going to go make up Mm. that hour. Mm. So the work is getting done, but the boundaries are totally blurred.
1: Yeah. And I would agree with that. I, I think that we, again, it comes down to expectations. Let's talk about, you know, what's the measure of, uh, of your role you know is it is it the number of hours you do and it may be um, is it the um, the output you know what 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 is it and what's the expectation so that we're all clear um, and the expectation needs to consider what's reasonable and how do i integrate the other parts of my life I think what we've seen though is that as you said, the commute for some people has disappeared and but it's been absorbed into the workday. So rather than getting those that extra time back to use in a really productive, fun, whatever way, it hasn't, it's been absorbed into the workday. And so I think a lot of it just comes down to being really conscious um, and t- again taking responsibility for how how do you balance or integrate the different parts of your work and life in a way that's supportable sustainable achieves the outcomes you know, ticks all the boxes but doesn't just you don't have work just bleed into all areas of your life and you're in this always on kind of state because i think that's where the danger lies is that you're always on and you never have relief yeah from work and and that to me is the is probably the big thing i know there are a few exceptions of You know, some amazing entrepreneurs who are always on because that's just their thing. But for most people, they need to do other things. They need to focus on other things. They need to replenish. And so I think the boundary setting is about when are you on and when are
0: you not on for work? Well, and to that end, as you just make those decisions and be intentional about that planning and programming and Mm. organization, Uh, if you're leading a team of people, you need to be vocal and obvious about the decisions and choices you make and Mm -hmm. model that behavior so that others feel the latitude to do similar things. And just taking a, for instance, if, if you say, all right, every half day on Friday, uh, Friday afternoon, I'm not going to have any meetings or maybe the whole day on Friday. I'm not going to call any meetings of our team. I want you to be able to take a personal day or, you know, make up, uh, however you want to use it. We're just not going to encumber the day with meetings. Mm. Well, the boss needs to turn around and and demonstrate that and, Mm. you know, not, not accept meetings or try to do what they can to socialize that up the chain and make that mm. happen. Mm. Be- because it's one thing if the boss says, well, here, here's a classic I got one, one executive I had said that he, he chose to do some catch up work after dinner, you know, while the kids were getting ready for bed, what that meant for 30 minutes, there was a flood of outgoing emails. well, Seven seven thirty eight o'clock at night. These emails are landing in employees' boxes, his team members' boxes. It's coming from the boss. They better work the answer, you know. And and the boss finally had to say, "Look, let me back up a minute. Here's how I've organized my day. I'm clearing out my inbox at that time. If I haven't been specific telling you of exactly when I need an answer, it can wait. <laughs> you know, yeah. let it." Let it roll into your next day. Don't, don't overreact because I happen to put a PM stamp on it at 7, 8 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oftentimes that's easier said than done. Everybody typically has a relationship with the boss. It's like, yeah, right. Okay, no, I'm going to answer it. I'm going to try to get it taken care of. So you've got to work that dynamic. And I think good leaders will make it happen.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right. Really being clear about um, what's expected and not expected, and then modeling it. Um, but I also, I mean, this to me talks to that the always on mentality. They would only know that they had those emails if they had their device and they were checking it at seven thirty or eight at night. So is that reasonable? Is that part of the on time or not? And then of course, there's the whole fundamental email thing of. You know, just because someone sent you an email doesn't mean you need to be, you know, glued to your device to be able to respond within five minutes of it arriving. You know, we set we've set an incredibly, um, well, I think it's incorrect, but we've set this expectation or precedent that we have to respond to emails, you know, within minutes of them arriving. Well, actually, we don't. you know for most emails they can wait quite a reasonable amount of time and and checking your email in the morning and in the afternoon is probably enough um depending on your role of course but I, i think you know these these are the things when i talk about boundaries and expectations that's part of it you know what's a reasonable response time for an email you're not you know, waiting, hovering, hoping that an email is going to land in your inbox so you can instantly respond to it. So let's actually get some reasonableness into us because you've got a lot of other things to do as well as respond to email.
0: Right, right. Well, I'll tell you what, Stacey, uh, we're going to take a short commercial break. And when we get back, uh, we're going to dive a little more into your both of your books and talk about uh, some of these models and ideas for leaders. We'll be right back after this message. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's DougThorpe.com. All right, everyone, we're back. You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm Doug Thorpe, and today I'm talking with Stacey Ashley, who's calling us from the great continent of Australia. And uh, it's a, a pleasure. We've been having a, a good discussion about the, I guess some people would call it the brave new world of work and the way we're going at things, having gone through the experience of the pandemic. While we were in the green room during the break, Stacey brought up a good point that uh, I'm going to paraphrase what she was telling me, and I'll let her elaborate. But on one hand, there's nothing new under the sun. Some of the challenges of leadership that are in front of us today have always been there. They, they're they no different today than they once were. We are working through those problems with some new challenges, but the fundamental Problem, I guess I'll call it, uh, from a leadership standpoint, is 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 the same as it's always been. So, Stacey, you want to elaborate on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, the the focus of leadership and the important attributes of leadership and and um, the breadth of leadership, I really think, is largely the same. What what the pandemic experience has done for us is probably to shine a light on some of the things that although they've always been there in leadership, have perhaps not had the prominence um, that they might have. And so, um, and there are other things which have always presented challenge. And again, it's sort of amplified that. So we've already talked about communication. Communication has always been important. It's always been, uh, or in many cases, has also been um, an area of um, lack if you like in in leadership and and organisations, you know how do I communicate? How often do I communicate? How do I communicate well? The pandemic has just mean, meant that that's even more important because we we got thrown into this kind of maelstrom of of things that happened at, um, all at the same time. And so how do how do we help people to cope with that? Well, we've got to keep them informed and we've got to keep them connected to us, and that's all about communication. But the things that I think have become Um, clearly more important although they have always been part of leadership are the elements of kindness compassion empathy because we have been a world in need of all of that over the last couple of years and so while I've always certainly considered that leaders need to you know to have those attributes and to be able to focus on those things I think now the expectation that leaders need to do that generally has risen significantly Um, and to balance out those things with you know all the standards of set the vision, make great decisions, balance the balance sheet, you know all of those um have, have there's not now i guess a more a greater expectation of of humanity in leadership, if I could put it like that, so it's always been there, but now I think <clears throat> it's much more conscious you know that we we want our leaders to demonstrate those things in addition to everything else
0: yeah. I think uh, I I have actually gone so far as to tell people I I think one style of leadership that's been around for decades is the classic command and control. I go so far as to argue, I think that's on its way out. I, I don't honestly know of an environment where that is really working anymore. Mm. And somebody always, if I have this discussion, they'll quickly point to me, well, the military still uses it. And I'll go, no, do they? Have you really studied military leadership training of late? It's not, it's servant leadership is their Mm. mantra. And uh, I've got that well-documented from uh, the command and general staff college. And so This my way or the highway kind of, you know, I've got pearl handled pistols on my hip, you're going to have to follow me Well, that that is so many decades ago, and Mm. those that might still be out there in the workforce with that mindset, uh, all I say is, good luck to you, I hope you have a team that likes that and is used to it, because you're not going to have a lot of success recruiting new people to come into that system
1: yeah i I don't really think there's a future there and and i think that command and control style has been on the way out for a long time again the pandemic experience i think has just you know accelerated that process uh because it it just is not the most um effective successful um inclusive way of of leading people well
0: it it's definitely not a long-term play it's Mm -hmm. uh, Arguably, you can get some short-term success if you've got a real crisis on your hands. If the, if the, uh, if the house is on fire, you want the fire captain to be command and control. Yes, sure. I, I agree with that. I, no doubt about it. But the process to build that team on the fire engine that knows how to do that when the fire is happening, hmm. that's not a command and control style that, that gets you there.
1: Sure. So.
0: Um, I, I think there's some caveats, but by and large, for it to be the the go-to methodology or solution, I I think it's on its way out for sure. Mm-hmm. What uh, what are some of the other areas you've you've delved into with your books?
1: Um, so my my one of my first books was about that whole transition from um, being a member of a team to leading one. So it's re- so a really that responsibility, moving the responsibility for task to the responsibility for people and what's involved in making that transition. That was my first book. And then I wrote a book um, about uh, being a leader. That's called First Lead Yourself. And that was uh, released at the end of 2020, actually. And that was really about, again, recognising that leadership starts with you. And it's not just knowing what to do. It's actually embodying and and being a leader uh, because you're always role modelling Um, and people people know when you when you talk the talk but you don't walk the walk they know that and so the being of leadership um, and then at the beginning of 20 i actually wrote three books in 2021 the first one i released um was called show up 21 and it was really a very simple book designed to give uh leaders some some uh, a way to to lead out of what we thought then was probably you know, the pandemic coming coming to a close, but giving them some equipment that allowed them to continue to show up in a sustainable way in their leadership and and be equipped um, with some core ideas that would help them to have the right kind of energy to maintain the right kind of mindset that would allow them to, again, to lead that kind of marathon of change. Um, still super relevant today, as it turns out. And then I wrote, um, you're on mute and power up and release those in December 21. So a bit of a, a bit of a, um, a breadth, I guess, but it's all premised on for me, the concept of leading possibility, which is about, um, as a leader, it's not holding a position on an organization chart. It's actually about the opportunity we create to lead into the future.
0: I agree. The, um, you know, the whole idea of whatever your role title on the org chart is, um, I always caution people that inevitably when you're placed in one of those positions, there is an implied and a specific level of power that comes with that. You usually technically have hiring and firing kind of power Mm. and other things as well. And maybe, you know, monetarily, you've got some kind of delegation of authority to sign checks and things like that. But The best leaders I've ever known use that power of the position as an absolute last resort, if ever, Mm. if they Mm. even ever use that. Rather, they are looking for their own leadership ability to create the proper level of authority and assertion that they need to influence the people around them. So uh, it's not about... in. Just because you you have that title and and you know in my early days, I came from a military background and it wasn 't about the little emblem on your collar that gave you the power, although a lot of people occasionally tended to use it that way um, but rather it was the way you conducted yourself that created the the respect and admiration that um, you you wanted to get from your unit and and mm-hmm. from the people around you, and sometimes that meant taking their shirt off altogether and just going and sitting and having a talk about what you're trying to accomplish and where you're trying to go. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And of course, we've all seen leaders who don't have position at all, but the way they show up um, allows them to have influence and to, you know, to make an impact and to make a difference. And, um, and they, they may not have any, you know, positional authority whatsoever. And I, I'm a, a huge advocate of developing leadership in everyone.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. And I I often refer to that as the informal, so I'll get that out. (laughs) Let me start Mm -hmm. over. The informal organization. You know, you you can look at that uh, legal and formal org chart that might be in the book or on the wall. But when you really get into a business, you start asking, well, how do things really happen? And then you'll be introduced to people that are very influential and very, uh, actually, ultimately I would use the word powerful. Mm. They're respected. They're admired. They're, they're the go-to people that, uh, everybody learns to lean on and, and, um, count on. Mm. So you're right. Uh, leadership can take a lot of different forms what do you do in terms of helping someone who is in a designated leadership position but who has never kind of crossed over into that coaching sort of mode where they're actually working to build leaders in their own organization? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of things do you work with on, in that front?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I think if I teach them to coach. That's probably the main thing. But um, but really, actually, I think it starts with the recognition that whenever um, you as the leader, are, the, are, the, are when you're the go-to person, when you're the expert, when you have the answers, when you make all the decisions, then you're really limiting the capacity of your team to one, which is you. And as a leader, does that create the great outcomes and the difference that we that we want? Well, most people would recognize that as no. Actually, they want to, to make a bigger difference and a bigger impact. And that's about actually tapping into all the amazing talent around them. And so for me, it's about raising that awareness and getting the penny to drop that in order for me to do that as a leader, then I need to have a way of tapping into that and coaching and mentoring obviously creates huge opportunity to build capability and to build accountability and to really move the dial. So in six months time, we've all made progress together. And so, you know, as they say, rising tide lifts all boats. And so that's what we want to create is, is that, you know, um, opportunity for everyone to really step into their strengths and realize their potential. And I think the, the big relief that comes from that as the leader is all of a sudden, you don't need to know the answer to everything. Oh my gosh, that feels so good! If as long as I know the questions to ask, then I still I'm still leading. I'm I'm creating the opportunity, but I don't actually need to be the expert of everything. Um, and I think that's when when um, you know that that innovation, that um, that creativity, the opportunity. That's when it starts to flow. Is that we that we ask rather than tell, and um, and it, yeah, it takes a time a while to become really proficient at that, um, and to also be comfortable letting go of being the expert. I think that's a big transition point for many leaders. You know, I know that there are many leaders, even very very senior leaders, who still operate from their base of domain expertise rather than their base of leadership expertise, and so I think when we can get leaders, or certainly when I can get leaders, to recognise that and then take steps to achieve that, that's when we see that real um, elevation in leadership and opportunity for the team as a whole.
0: Now, I see a pretty regular uh, pattern or call it trajectory or evolution of, of how leaders emerge in companies. You know, it starts with getting recognized for your individual contribution. You get a chance to take on a, a team lead kind of role you do okay with that, maybe you become the department manager, and then you do okay with that, and you become a some kind of unit manager, and so on, and so on. But the irony and where people typically get tripped up is that they get a false sense of security that they got recognized for those early promotions, because they were doers, they were problem solvers. So, even if they took on a team one or two levels deep, there were still problems being generated from the effort mm. in that team. And this person was the chief problem solver. So accolades and recognition come and that's how they us- usually get you know, into the radar and consideration for gr- greater elevation. Mm. But at some point, there's a dynamic where even the company needs a more strategic influencer not just a doer. And that's where people start to crumble in mid-career. They perhaps don't get told that that's the transition that's happening. Mm. They're feeling pressure from above that they're being asked to do those things, but maybe they, they haven't been coached on how to do that or what that's about. So they revert to their comfort zone of problem solving, and they try to dive into bigger problems to solve. And it becomes very counterproductive because every minute they're spending on the problem solving, they're not doing the strategic work they're being asked to do. And all of a sudden we have this sort of double bind of people waking up mid-career going, what's happening to me?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Look, I think you, you're you absolutely right. And I, I see it still too often. And it, it it's almost shocking to me because why would you promote someone and then not give them exposure to the information the knowledge the expectation the training to help them be successful you know i think i think there's a real lack still i mean there are some organizations that are amazing and they're very focused on their leadership pipeline and equipping their people and giving them opportunity but supporting them every step of the way and i think that's amazing but i don't think it happens in enough organizations and you're right we promote we promote we promote and sort of we promote until failure Uh, almost. And, and then, and it's like, Oh, how did that happen? Well, it happened because you didn't give them the right support and equipment and training um, and coaching and mentoring along the way. If you'd done that, they would be making that next transition to the broader portfolio, the bigger vision, the more strategic, getting out of the detail. Um, You can't just expect it and not actually help people to be able to, to do it because you've given them the skills. And I think that that's a real opportunity in so many organizations to recognize that in order for people to be successful, you've got to equip them with the right equipment. Um, I was reading an interesting article, I think it was from DDI, some of their research that they did in in 2021, where 75% of CEOs were saying, we have to have a robust leadership talent pipeline. And less than 11% of those, um, those CEOs said, Yes, we're actively doing something about creating one, <laughs> which means we don't have one. Right. That's pretty scary. Right.
0: Yeah. No, it is. And uh, I, I think it's one of those classic arguments. There's, w- when challenged about it, the senior leaders agree it needs to be there and it ought to be there and it should be part of their framework and structure. But then you say, Well, okay, great. What are you doing about it? It's like, Well, we hadn't gotten to that one yet. Mm. and uh, I I definitely see that happening a lot. Well, Stacey, I think we need to land this plane. Um, This has been great. Is there any kind of summary closing thought you want to share with everybody before we get offline here?
1: Oh, my gosh, so much, but let's keep it simple. Um, I I think, let's go back to the concept of, I think everyone has an opportunity to be a leader, even if you're a leader of self, and I think, um, you know, pick up that responsibility and 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 you know and lead from wherever you are you know and the more that you can learn about that and contribute then i think you're simply making the world a better place and uh, and i think that's a wonderful thing to do
0: i love it and i happen to agree with you 100% it's um it's a it's a need that's out there, and whether that's that leadership is applied at work or at home or in your community, there are plenty of opportunities to stand up and be that person that can be counted on in the moment to make a difference, and that's really what it's all about. So thank you for all this, Stacey. Tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in uh, knowing more.
1: Well, thank you, Doug. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, as Stacey Ashley, and my website is stacyashley.com.
0: Great. Great. We'll have those links in the show notes, folks. And uh, speaking of that, if you're listening to this episode on your favorite streaming channel, we do have a video version that's over on YouTube under the channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. It's been a pleasure to uh, be with you today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and found something helpful for your own leadership toolkit and development strategy. If you need to know more, reach out to Stacy or reach out to me, and we'll be happy to dive in, give you a hand with it. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, and thank you for listening. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.